Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is producer, educator, and musicologist Eric Copeland. First of all, let's talk about net neutrality. Well, you've probably heard by now that the FCC has ruled against net neutrality. And what exactly does that mean? Well, first of all, it means that up until now, we've had pretty much unlimited use of the internet. So in other words, you pay your fee, whatever it might be, $49 a month or $89 a month, whatever it is, and then you could pretty much download whatever you want. You can use a service as much as you want. You can go to Spotify, use it as much as you want. And if you use it a little bit or a lot, you've paid the same. So there's no increase that goes along with usage. Now, this may change now the fact that we won't have net neutrality anymore. So in other words, an ISP or a telco, whoever you have your internet with, will be able to charge you for usage. In other words, they might say, well, you only get 100 songs a month. And after that, then we charge you extra. So that's not too cool. The other thing is they can also force you to their preferred provider. In other words, if you're with AT&T, AT&T might have a deal with Tidal. It's easier for you to change from Spotify to Tidal than it is for you to change from AT&T to Sprint. In fact, what will happen is it will force you to be a Tidal user rather than a Spotify user. What's happening here is AT&T or whoever your provider is, is getting paid on both sides. You're paying extra and then Tidal or Spotify or whoever the service provider is will also have to pay the ISP or the telco to have you access it. So here we have a changing of the guard, so to speak. Up until now, what's happened is the people in the middle, the telephone companies, the telcos, and the ISPs, they have all this infrastructure that they pay a lot of money for, but they can only charge so much, and there's lots of regulations. And basically what happens is all the rights holders, all of the record labels and publishers, they are able to really come down on a service provider like Apple Music or like Tidal or like Spotify and get higher royalties and advance payments and things like that. But now that's going to change a little bit as now the Spotify's and Apple Music's of the world will now have to deal with the people in the middle, which is the ISPs, internet service providers, and the telcos. And they'll have to pay extra for that. So this is kind of a changing of the guard. The ISPs and telcos are now sort of gatekeepers in the middle, and they'll be making money from both sides. Good for them, bad for consumers. If you have any questions or comments, send them to questions at bobbyownercircle.com. The second edition of my social media promotion for musicians handbook is now available on Amazon, iBooks, Ingram, and a bookstore near you. It's the manual for marketing yourself, your band, and your music online, and it covers how to use virtually every important online platform for promotion. Also, check out my online video courses at bobbyosinskicourses.com. 
Now, you hear me talk a lot about Gibson. And one of the reasons why is it's not that I don't like the company because I do and I like the product and I'm a Gibson owner, but they've made a lot of suspect decisions and suspect business moves over the last 10 or 15 years and now they're coming home to roost. You might have heard that a few weeks ago, it wasn't all that long, it was last month in November, Gibson put up their Memphis factory for sale. It's a showroom and it's also a factory in beautiful downtown Memphis. Less than a month later, a real estate investment group bought that particular property and It's interesting because it's the same group that actually bought two warehouses from Gibson earlier in the year. So this group is funding Gibson right now for the short term. The other thing that Gibson did is it pushed back a big payment from the beginning of December to the end of December to take advantage of the cash flow that comes with Christmas. That being said, Gibson has some real problems because it has $520 million of debt that's going to be due in mid-2018. And they're not able to borrow any more money because their credit is not that good. So who knows what will happen. The Memphis factory is going to be turned into retail space and offices and a brewery. Too bad because it's actually a really nice tourist stop now. They have a wonderful factory tour, and even going to the showroom is pretty nice. But that's all going away, and they'll be in it for another couple years until they transition to another place in Memphis or back to Nashville. But it's really a shame because it was a great place. My guest today is Eric Copeland, who's become one of the top Christian and jazz producers in the country, producing around 25 artists every year. His specialty is not just music, but guiding and growing artists thanks to his decades of experience. Eric also has a deep interest in music history and writes a blog called Music History Matters. I spoke with him via Skype from a studio in Nashville. I looked at all of your websites, and you're prolific. There's a lot going on. How would you describe yourself? Well, I think, you know, in this day and age, you've really got to kind of be um, an entrepreneur. What I have found is that um, you got to be careful that you don't have too many brands. But at the same time, um, you know, us creative guys, and you're one of these people, you know, we have a lot of different interests. And um, some of us, I think, are, are it's easier for us to uh, do many things at one time versus just concentrate on there was probably a time in your life you really just concentrated on engineering or producing and things like that and there was a time that you know i did things like that too but i think these days you've got to i tell people a lot of times that i'm a i'm a um what's the expression i'm um i wear a lot of hats and i'm a uh, well okay i can't i'm sorry i can't think of the expression right now um but, you know, I, I know that there's a lot of things to do and uh, I have backgrounds in so many things. You know, my life was uh, coming up in a musical family, but also in a, in a tech family and also in a church family. And so all of these things have kind of just uh, come along. I had a background in uh, tech. You know, I worked uh, doing um, websites and CD-ROMs and DVD-ROMs and multimedia back in the 90s when... You know, we were making little 640 by 480 screens yeah. to show uh, multimedia in. And, of course, that's all different now. But, um, you know, I did that work. I worked as a professional video for a few years. 
all the time being a songwriter and kind of making my own music since I was 13 years old. And so that's what started it all. But my dad brought home an IBM PC in like 1980 and uh, he worked at IBM. And so I learned basic and DOS and just kind of figured out how to start doing computer stuff. So through all my life, even though I was a musician and trying to be, thought I was going to be a songwriter, you know, and just go over to Nashville and, and make my fortune. Um, you know, there was just a lot of different roads I ended up on because of tech and then because of video. And then as it turns out, they all led to here where having my own business and having, uh, you know, dozens of clients at a time that you're trying to work for and help as artists and grow them as artists. Um, they all kind of come together. Well, let's look at the number of things you do because it's quite a lot. So you're a blogger and you have four blogs, right? Yeah, um, there's probably more than that, actually. But uh, the main one I've done since for about 15 years now, before there was blogging, it was just a newsletter before, um, but it was called For the Creative Soul. And it was really just for creatives. Um, you know, I, I work mainly, if you look at the genres, I'm a genre producer, mainly in the Christian and gospel genre, but then also in the jazz, and now we're starting to do some classical genre stuff too. But... Um, the for the creative soul really applies to everyone it, it's um it's really a i've written a book and i'm sitting on it right now but it's just basically from the blog through all the years just about all the stages of living a creative life and what that's like for for people who are amateurs who are semi-pros and who are professionals all of us have the same problems and same things we have to deal with as creatives and so it kind of goes into that a lot and then I have one uh, called the music ministry business, which I might be shifting more into the music, just more of a music business blog, similar kind of to what you do, just because it seems I'm talking about Twitter and I'm talking about, you know, just things that apply to everyone. Um, since I was so based in gospel music for the most part, and especially over the last 10 or 15 years in Nashville, um, you know, most of, I would say most of, 90% of the, of the clients I have are based in that genre, um, which is a pretty big genre in Nashville, obviously. But, um, and it's one of the points I want to make today as we talk is, is the importance of genre and the importance of staying in your lane and working at your particular craft. Because um, I don't know how anybody as a pop artist or a rock artist uh, figures out a way to go when you know, I work mostly in the genres, and it's a little easier because you know exactly who to contact for publicity and for all those kind of things. Let's talk about your production career, because I know you mentioned to me in an email about you have a lot of clients and your cli you do a lot online. I want to know how you do that. What, what's the basis of your production career? Well, I, I started in Lexington, Kentucky, which is where I'm from. And I worked in my basement like everybody else with Cakewalk. And then, up, and then I started with uh, an engineer in town who used Logic on the Mac. And so I started using Logic on the PC. This is how old, long ago this was when Logic was actually on the PC as well. And uh, because I found it as a, as a keyboard player and an arranger and MIDI kind of guy, I found that MIDI and Logic was so much easier, especially since, and still, it, you can go back to the beginning of time tw 10 or 20 years later and get your MIDI unquantized if you want to, because it's not destructive. And so uh, I've always used logic since then, and it continues to be the main thing that I use now. 
Um, I just started producing people. Um, gosh, you know, this isn't something I planned to do. I don't, I, I, I didn't even know that there was such a thing as producer. I looked at records all my life, you know, the back of them and I saw producer, but, um, I just started writing songs and making my own tapes and make, and my dad had a real to real player. He was a musician and microphones and so I started making my own recordings. And the next thing I knew, friends were asking me, this may sound familiar, you know, hey, can you record me? Can you do this for me? And I just became the guy that suddenly I was the guy that recorded people locally and I record people in high school and in college. And then I moved to Chicago for a while and I worked with people there and recorded people there. And then um, when I came back to Kentucky, um, and I just started putting out a, a, a shingle as a producer, arranger and a composer. And what happened was, again, because of my computer background, um, I about 1995 or so, I picked up a book at Barnes and Noble or someplace, and it was how to program HTML. And because I worked in tech, I already knew markup language. And so I'm like, dang, I know HTML. I know how to make a website. Hmm. So the next day, ericcopelandmusic.com was probably up, and uh, that was 95. And so I've had a website since about then. By 97, people were tracking me down from California, and I was in Kentucky of all places, and they're coming from every point in the United States because mainly, again, I was specifically focused a lot in Christian music, and in the 90s, people were typing into Alta Vista or whatever search engine there was at that time, um, you know, how do, how do I find a Christian music producer or if they want a jazz, a jazz music producer or whatever, and so people were finding me because of my specialties. And I think that continues to be, and, and the website continues to be the main way people find me. They just type into Google what they're looking for. And I've, as far as I know, I've been top one or two, as if you type in Christian music producer for about 10 years, wow. maybe at least certainly the last five or seven. So that's been, and then when you back it up with the people that I was lucky enough to meet in Nashville, I can tell that story, but um, you know, that, that plus the quality of Nashville, um, and all the players that I was lucky enough to meet, engineers, just kind of um, made it all happen. And, and and word of mouth is still a thing, but I don't think word of mouth is as big as Google's mouth, you know, as yeah. far as finding my website. Because, again, I've had a lot of, I've had that set up for a long time in some form. And so it's just very findable. And the blogs don't hurt, and the, and social media doesn't hurt, and all that doesn't hurt. But I still think it's people typing in. People tell me all the time, you're not going to believe how God led me to you. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I think I probably can figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, what type of clients do you have, production clients? Well, I would say they're mostly all independent. Um, I, I have, I am not necessarily in the um, in the star making business. And what I mean by that is that's never really interests me all that much. Um, I I was. You know, I tell a lot of people, and I still operate this way. I started basically professionally as a, as a composer arranger for jobs. People would want a song for a wedding, or they would want uh, to record a song for their wife or for their girlfriend or, or for a specific event or something, and I would do that kind of thing. And then I kind of took over a business where they were doing a lot of jingle writing, and, and it was this actual physical studio. And so I became more of whoever walked in the door, I would help, and... Um, as a studio, that's not about looking for stars. That's looking about billable hours. And so uh, to me, it was all about staying busy 
and living a life uh, producing music at that time. I got to write a lot back then, a little bit more than I do now, because the whole artist-writer thing has changed. Uh, but um, the, for the most part, my, my business has almost always been independent. And every once in a while, I'll work with or for somebody who is doing something that's, that's related to a label or something like that. But, you know, um, not to get all Christian or anything but on you, but, you know, from a, from a, a Christian music point of view, the, the goal is not fame. The goal is to get um, the message out and yeah. to get people to hear it. And so it's very easy from, a, from that point of view to produce music for people to go out and do things with. And I think jazz is a similar way. I think classical is a sim similar way. That's probably why I love those three genres, because they're really about the music for a reason, not just for dancing or for attention or for whatever that particular uh, genre might be about. And so those, those clients come to me and I help them build full, uh, because of my background, again, in, in social media or before social media, in website building and uh, all that kind of stuff, my background, photography and design and Photoshop and all that kind of stuff, I can help people kind of build not only a great sounding um, record or track or whatever, but, you know, we've always been the place, especially before we moved to Nashville, that was out of town that could help a, a local or regional artist um, build an entire brand. Full service. Website, full service, full so service. to speak. Yeah. It's basically like we are a record company. We say we're Creative Soul Records a lot, and it doesn't necessarily mean that we're a record label that sells records, but we pretty much do everything a record label does. Well, how sophisticated are the clients that you get? Well, they run the they run the gamut. They could be as sophisticated as uh, a twenty four year old super talented young lady. That, as a matter of fact, I had a lady today, a young lady, uh, meeting with A uh, and R at Word in Nashville, which is you know a large Christian label, and I, so I introduce artists to them from time to time. As you know, that's just an introduction. Those those kind of things take a long time to to happen if they ever happen at all. Um, but I do that kind of thing. And so I work with artists that are talented like that. Um, but you know, again, now jazz and classical aside in the, in the gospel industry, talent is not always the big part of, of the whole thing, you know? So I've got several artists on the road doing hundred, 200 dates a year. And I wouldn't say that they're any more talented than, than, you know, as far as pure talent that, you know, people see, cause one of them is probably 60 or so, and another one is 30, or usually probably 40 or so with his entire seven-member family in an RV traveling around. So, But, you know, they would consider themselves uh, successful and making it, and they're making a living, and they're having their fun touring and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then there are people who are, um, could, that come into meeting us, and they're, they're not very good songwriters. But over the years, they become pretty good songwriters. Um, and then there are people who are um, are people who just need a track. And I work. I just developed ten tracks for some artists in Australia who just needed great sounding professional Nashville sounding Christian tracks for their um, for their business. I'm not even sure what their business is, but it's some some care business or something. And they're going to redo some vocals there. But we had pros sing in Nashville for it, so. Um, it's just, it runs the gamut. It's like being in a studio. 
funny you should mention, I have a very, very good longtime friend. And uh, recently she said, uh, I'm going to Nashville. I'm going to record some songs. I didn't think much of it when she was telling me that. I just didn't think hard about it. Well, she came back and she said, okay, I have these songs. Can you mix them for me? I said, yeah, sure. So she sends them over and there's eight songs that she did in four days. And these things sound so good. I mean, even the rough sound terrific. It's like, well, I'm going to work really hard to beat these things. But my point is the quality of musicianship and the quality of the engineering and the quality of everything was just so high. It, I don't know what she paid for this, but it probably it was re- a reasonable amount. But wow, I was knocked out. Four days is a lot for, for, for eight songs. I mean, I, I tracked on Friday and we did eight songs that day. And we spent about an hour and a half on every song. Maybe someone went a little faster and they all sound fabulous. But these are guys and people ask me all the time, how can they? I do this, but as you know, great session players who live every day and only play every day uh, are, are, are amazing at this. And I just happened to meet the right engineer uh, who was in the middle of the whole Christian world. And then I've met another engineer and same thing. Two guys who, uh, I, I, anything they mix uh, is just fabulous. And they both have Grammys and Doves and all that kind of stuff. And but the players they use are the main guys who have been there for 20, 30 years, you know, and um, some of them now are out on tour with Michael McDonald. He's got quite a few of them in his band now. And um, Peter Cetera has a few in his band. And, uh, and the drummer I worked with, as a matter of fact, on Fridays in Peter Cetera's current band. And, you know, these are top of the line guys. They they could have made it in any any either in L.A. or or Nashville. And uh, some of them have worked in L.A. before and then came here or have gone back and forth. Yeah, but it's something, I mean, in L.A., there are fewer of those guys around. And for some reason, they're tougher to get. I mean, you can, but in Nashville, it just seems like there's uh, an overabundance of really great players. It seems that way to me. I haven't lived there. I've worked there, but I haven't lived there. But it just seems to me that, wow, (laughs) the, the average quality level is much higher than most places. Five to ten deep at every uh, place I would say at that top level. Yeah. And if, if somebody has to take a, a, a double uh, scale thing, which doesn't happen as much as it used to, but if that should happen they, and they take it, you can find somebody who can come in and cover just as well at just as high quality. And now I'm pretty particular about that, that high uh, quality because that's kind of how I get the quality of what we do. And, and that's always going to depend on the artist because the artist can come in with a great song or a mediocre song. They can be a great singer or a mediocre singer. Again, uh, my business is not based on, on who's the best and, and every track is going to be what that artist wanted because in some ways they're the executive producer of their own, of their own product. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you know how that goes. Yeah. But, um, Tell me about your book. Well, I've written a few. I actually wrote a book. And when I was in, before I moved to Nashville and it was a music producer's guide type of thing, you know, and it was so funny. I wrote it long before I moved to Nashville and I really wrote it as a, if you are not in Nashville, LA or New York, how do you get something produced locally, you know, or regionally and what do you watch out for? Mm-hmm. And that was kind of what I wrote it for. I still sell it on my site. Um, it's when I moved to Nashville, I had to really kind of change some things because I my mind was completely open to what's out there in Nashville and or LA or wherever. But, um, you know, uh, because I, I learned it became so much about players 
Um, I mean, there's something that I have to do as an arranger or a producer and to keep things under control. There's And then there's engineers like I had in Kentucky. And then there's like the guys in Nashville, yeah. you know, the top guys, you know, and they, um, it, it, so I had to, I had to rewrite a little bit of it and I haven't really checked on it in a year or two. I think I re- rewrote it a little bit a couple of years ago. You know how that goes. You have to kind of update things a little bit, but it still works mainly as a book to, to help the person who's local. But the problem is now I don't recommend people work local. Because the problem with local is, uh, I remember, I used to be a local guy. I don't know if you were ever a local guy, but I was, at the time, I was a local guy. And I thought I knew everything in that local area. And then I moved to Nashville and realized I didn't really know everything. And so, uh, after after moving there and learning this, I learned that it's all about the people around you. It's all about finding the best person for the for the job, just like being a contractor. I think that's the best uh, example of what a producer is, is a great contractor yeah. and um, and finding the right people. And so now it's very hard for me to, to suggest people record in their local studio because I know that likely there's someone going to make some decisions based on they thinking that they are they are the king of the king of the town. Now, I also have another book. It's called um, how to live a creative life. And it's basically for all creatives. Um, I believe this book is a little bit more based in the Christian format and it would probably be pushed into the Christian bookstores more than, uh, but I've also thought about rewriting it as a, a book for everyone. I mean, it is a book for everyone. It's just, you know, there's, there's some stuff in there uh, that there's Bible verses and things like that, that some, some folks may, may have an issue with, but um, it's basic creative stuff, how to deal with people you live with while you try to be creative, how to convince them this is what you should do versus get a real job, all that kind of stuff. And then how to live a life as a person who tries to make a living and how to, uh, you know, find success as a creative and, and all the pitfalls and things that you have to do trying to make a living at it. Speaking of making a living, I was reading your bio and right in the beginning, you mentioned about playing in a hotel touring band when you first started. Oh, sure. And, yeah. and we all played in cover bands like that, and I, I certainly played in something. We didn't play a lot of hotels, but I, I played kind of the same thing. But it got me thinking, boy, I don't think those gigs are, are available anymore. Is there such a thing as a band that just plays hotels anymore? That used to be a big deal, but well, it, I don't think yeah, so anymore. Hotel, it, you know, because back in the day, this was mid-'80s, it was Holiday and Lounges yeah. from here to Mankato, Minnesota, you know, yeah. and or from... Uh, and and so we played all those places. I don't know if if they're if they have disc jockeys in there now or if they just have pipe music. I I don't I don't think they have them anymore. But yeah. you but you, you know what you see bands playing all the time. One of the things that surprised us, you got to remember, regional and local is a different deal than where we live in L.A. or Nashville. Yeah. You know, and it's it's a whole different world. I have a, my uncle is a superstar in Kentucky. I mean, his his uh, band that started in Lexington and about the same time as Exile started in Lexington, you know, Exile yeah. group, and they started in Lexington. And my uncle also had a band and, and started um, and it went to and then went to Louisville and was a producer. But he's uh, he's like Elvis, and and you know, at some of these functions, these horse farm things, that big parties they have, and all these kind of things, those things still go on. Um, I remember being in Minnesota at a Holiday Inn one time. And uh, I 
think it was Minnesota, and we we took a break from the the, the lounge. We were walking to our room, and we walked past the big um, room where they were having a graduation dance, and there was a band on stage, and none of the kids were dancing. And then all of a sudden, they said, "All right, now it's time to polka." And every kid went up to there and polkaed like there was no tomorrow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it just shows you that all the regional stuff still goes on. Now, again, I haven't been in that world for a while, but. It, you know, again, funny you should mention that. I grew up in Pennsylvania and I'm Polish, so polka is kind of my middle name. Not that I've <laughs> ever played it, but I've been around that kind of music. And because I was around it all the time, I pushed it away. But now I find it incredibly interesting, and there's a, a television show on the RFD network. It's called Molly B's Polka Party, and I find myself switching to that often and watching it, mostly because the bands are so good, and these yeah. bands play all the time, and they, they have such diverse instrumentation, like things you'd never expect. You know, there, there'd be three horns and accordion drums. You know, stuff like that. And it all works, no matter what it is. And I just find them all so interesting and real, if nothing else. I once recorded an all-dulcimer band when I had a studio in Kentucky. And it was all dulcimers and one hand, uh, hammer dulcimer. Uh, the rest were just dulcimers. Yeah. little shout-out to Mountain Echoes, somewhere uh, in Kentucky, uh, where they are. But I'm just saying, you know, those kind of things exist. And you know what? That's kind of what I love. I love serving those those folks because um, I just have I I sell I sell all my clients on the fact that they're just as important as anyone. You know, we all make music, and I, my, the music I make is it's its own thing, and the music other people make is its own thing. And I think someone has to celebrate that and 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 be available to those people because otherwise everyone is you know still playing the old music business game of who's who can be a big star and how can i glom onto it and um i guess it's again because i love making things and i come from the production side as probably you do you know i just i i enjoy the fact that everyone gets a chance to do their thing because you never know what's going to come out when um I, i've worked with jamaican uh gospel singers before where they're singing half southern gospel half uh, reggae, yeah. it's fun, it's different, it's unique. I can basically program the whole thing and add guitar, and it just is. It's fun, and the budget is really low, but yeah. it's really fun. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm working with a ladies' group right now out of Chattanooga, and you know, as far as singers, I wouldn't say that they're like the greatest singers that have ever come, but their songs are so fun and R and B, and I have such fun programming them, and the players have so much fun playing on them because they're funky. And they're R and B, and they're they can let loose. I mean, so you just never know who's gonna come in and and be interesting to work with. Yeah, you know, and and, and I I approach that. I heard that uh, entrepreneur guy that you talked to from I don't know if he was from Britain or Australia, but um, that you just did one of your recent oh Tom, Tommy Darker from yeah he was yeah. from from Britain yeah yeah and I just you know I love the fact that. People are speaking to entrepreneurs because I just, I really believe in it. I'm working on my master's right now in music because I don't have enough to do uh, with all these blogs and, and 30 projects at a time. But you know how it is. You, you just, if people always ask me, how do you find time to do everything? I'm like, well, if you want to do it, you just do, Yeah. you know, and that's, that's a hard thing to teach people because you just, I can't teach fire in the belly. 
I can teach almost everything else, but I can't teach want to. But um, I'm working on my master's because I, a part of me really wants to teach and teach people on the next how to get to a music life because I don't think there's the jobs out there waiting for everybody that they think there is. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, I go and I speak at a lot of colleges all over the world. And one of the things that strikes me is that for the most part, they're still kind of back in the stone age in terms of their thinking. It's, we will teach you how to get a job. And that's not the music business. The music business is you make your own job because you're an entrepreneur. So there's only a few schools that I know of that approach it from that standpoint, where they will teach entrepreneurship as part of the music program, which is the way you have to approach it if you really want to, want to do something and stay in music as a career. So yes, I applaud you for, for thinking that way and for, for going that direction. Well, I spent a lot of time down here in Florida now that I'm working at this, going to the school and uh, I'm right near Full Sail. And um, I finally got a chance to tour there after working with dozens of Full Sail um, uh, graduates and as interns in Nashville, you know, over the years at studios that like Dark Horse and different places where I worked that always had, you know, big, big contingents of interns. And they would always be fresh out of full sale or some program like that. And they would, I would say, so what are you going to do next? And they're like, well, I'm just going to try to get a job here. I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm sure there's just a lot of job postings all over the <laughs> Nashville for, for, uh, engineers. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm trying to get my, and they say, well, what should I do? I'm like, go back to, I said, where are you from Toledo? I'm like, well, go back to Toledo and start a music business. Start your own place and put out stuff and start recording people because that's what I did. And that's what almost everybody I talked to in Nashville, other than the two natives that I know <laughs> live there, because uh, everybody comes from someplace else. Um, but everybody started as a local phenom or a local person and then eventually brought it to town versus coming to town and hoping to make it with no experience. And I think you have to have that experience. I mean, um, mine is all experience. I would come to Nashville since I was 18, knocking on publishers' doors or meeting a friend that someone said, oh, you need to go see my friend in Nashville since you're a songwriter. And I'd go see that person. They didn't care to meet me. This was back in the 90s, and it was a different music business than it is now. But, um, man, I would have paid someone to tell me, you know, to what I tell people now. And that is, you can do this, you, but you're going to have to build your own thing. And if you don't build your own thing, then it's likely not going to happen unless you just get really lucky and meet the right person for some reason. I've had interns that I've seen come in and get really nice jobs with really big producers. Now, those are usually pretty special interns. Those are usually kids who were really super talented musically. Anyway, I work with young one young producer who produced, who worked with a producer named Keith Thomas for a very long time. And, you know, he was his main guy for six, seven years. But before that, even he was talented and gone to Berkeley and not Berkeley online, but real Berkeley. Yeah, the real Berkeley. Know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and it was a great guitar is a great guitar player and then engineer. So um, that's the kind of that's the kind of thing it takes to, to get that. And most most kids are going into these engineer programs because it's something Fun to do and their parents were like thank god he found something yay <laughs> put yeah. him in there and, and yeah and, and sometimes those programs are cheaper than a four-year degree at something else maybe 
not necessarily some of them, but anyway. Um, but the, yeah, the problem is they're just not uh, trying to, and like you say, some are starting to incorporate entrepreneurship, but not enough. And the teachers need to teach that too. They need to, they need to be pointing out, okay, now this is why, because I'm a big music history dude. That's another one of my blogs called Music History Matters. And another one of my brands that I'm getting ready to do some more stuff for now. Yes. I wanted to go yeah. there actually and ask you about yeah, that. We'll get, we'll get there in just a second. Okay. Be- and the reason I love music history is because I think there's a lot to apply to those of us who are working in this business. And, and so I think even by teaching about uh, Mozart, I, or Beethoven, I can teach entrepreneur lessons. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't know how music history got started. I I, um, I decided to go back to school in about 2009 as I was, my production business was fine and it has been continually strong for quite a while, luckily. Um, but um, again, I just was wanting to, I, I was about, I looked at my credit hours one time on my transcript and it said 119 credit hours. And someone said to me, you know, you only need 120 for a degree. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, you know, I should go back and just finish. So I just needed a handful of classes. So the first thing I took was a music history class just to see if I could hang. It was a 3000 level class from basically from, from Haydn to now and uh, Western classical. And I just fell in love with, with it, with the study stuff. I couldn't have cared less about at 18 or 19, of course, when I was, you know, freshman in college and sleep, literally sleeping on a desk while Beethoven was playing. I just wanted to write my songs, but, um, I, I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with all the listening to the lives of them. I'm not as interested in why, uh, why, uh, Bach decided to do counterpoint or anything like that. I don't really care about why he decided to put an A flat there or whatever, I, I know a lot of musicologists want to talk about that. That's really what they really want. I mean, there's whole books on a note or a, a phrase or something. I just want to teach about the, from the lives of them. I think their lives are so important to ours. They're applicable. And, and, and that's why music history should be taught. It shouldn't be taught from, oh, uh, you know, let's make more uh, scholarly material for scholars. Because I'm in the middle of writing two scholarly papers for this semester, as a matter of fact, and I'm thinking, I, that's fine, but I want to teach people who aren't going to be musicologists, which is 99.9% of people in the world. They are not going to be scholarly. They're going to go out and, and make recordings or be an artist or play in an orchestra or something like that. And I think so the important thing to teach them is the lessons from the lives of these composers and not just composers, but uh, anybody who worked in this, one of the guys I'm studying right now, this will really float you both, is John Hammond. I'm doing a whole paper right now on John Hammond, who is one of our forefathers as a producer, and you know, yeah. an early producer and our guy and, and, and talent scout and writer and all this other stuff. Super interesting life and discovered some huge artists, of course. Yeah, yeah. You know? oh. So uh, all that kind of stuff is just, oh, I just, I eat it up and it's fun and Again, I, I have a, a passion, and I think you have to really work from your passions. Mm. You, you have to. Um, and so that's what I try to impart to people. And I think, again, that brings us back to some of the genres I work in, whether it's jazz or it's Christian or it's, it's classical. People have a passion for those kinds of music. 
I just got the phone today with a reggae artist who wants to really bring his style into contemporary pop, but also keep his reggae roots. And, you know, I think that's, uh, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. To be able to find yeah, that. yeah. Very cool. Eric. Last question. What's the best piece of business advice that you've either learned or maybe somebody imparted to you? I can tell you that, well, I, I, when I first met my, my uh, engineer that is, is a good friend of mine in Nashville, his name is Ronnie Brookshire. He's been a long time uh, engineer in Nashville. And I first called him to see if he would start working on some of my projects because I was, I was really burned out in Kentucky and I knew I needed to make another step and probably... There's somebody listening to this podcast somewhere that's somewhere in the United States and they've worked in their local area as long as they can and they just know they've hit a ceiling and I had hit that ceiling and I just needed to go. I need, I, and Nashville was the natural step for me because I was going back and forth anyway as doing work there and mastering and different things. But um, I said, Ronnie, do you, do you work with, with, you know, would you work with me and my artists? And he says, you know, once you get into this, you really can't get out. <laughs> and uh, that that's a kind of funny, but I, I tell you the piece of advice I wish I could go back and give myself at 18 or 19, and that is just build your own thing. Just build it. Don't, don't wait for someone to recognize your genius. Build the thing that you want to do and start doing it because um, that's, the, that's the thing everybody is afraid to do. And it doesn't mean you have to quit your job and eat Raymond, which... I have done before, by the way, uh, when I left tech and I went into producing full time, there was a few, few lean years there, but, um, I would just say if someone had told me that I could just, you know, they could look at all my talents and say, you know, you can do this. You just, you have to find the people who need you to do it. And that's true. And whether you're an artist, a songwriter, a producer, an engineer, whatever it is, um, don't be afraid to build the thing that you want to build and take it out there. And, you know, then it, it's hard work. There's no doubt. Um, but it's, it's absolutely the thing that I wish I would have heard or somebody would have told me. I, don't, I still don't think I would have cared about Beethoven at 18 years old or that I would have, um, you know, been, had the guts to go to Nashville. I was going to come right out of high school and go to Belmont. And I, but I didn't have the guts and maybe that's another part of it. And, um, I wish I had taken that time and put my head on straight and gone to Belmont those times, because at that time, those are now my contemporaries, all yeah. the people who were yeah. the people that graduated around the same years that I did that went to Nashville at that time and became in the music business. And I later started working with, those are all my contemporaries I work with now. And I was just a little afraid you know when we're from a small town and, and we have a modicum of talent we're sometimes afraid to to jump out there and and really do what we know we have to do and we, so we keep hoping and waiting for someone to hear us that's going to make us a big thing and that's just not always the best way to go i don't think to find out more about eric go to eric copeland music that's all one word eric copeland music.com and you can also go to creative soul online.com it's all one word creative soul 
com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to com. or you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, and Google Play. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyownercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-up form for my newsletter for alerts to new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Bye.